Welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Strike 3 Podcast. In today's episode, our guest has had a meteoric rise in the college baseball ranks. He's risen from being a first-year high school umpire in 2016 to a Power 5 Division 1 umpire in just five short years, with lots of postseason in between. However, his rise hasn't been without his challenges, and he goes into that. Please enjoy our conversation with Pac-12 umpire, Michael Chuckerman. To umpire baseball, to step behind the plate, you must have knowledge, talent, people skills, integrity, and above all else, a touch of insanity. Three men who don't take themselves too seriously. Three men who love baseball like their red-headed stepchild. Three men on a mission to give back to the community that has given so much to them. Three men and no baby. Those three men are CB, Enoch, and Trav. And this is Strike Three Podcast. Hey, welcome everybody to another splendid episode of Strike Three Podcast. I'm Enoch. And I'm CB. And Trav is on assignment this week, but uh, we uh, wish him well in his endeavors and we look forward to seeing him next time. Uh, I guess seeing him. Uh, <laughs> per se. <laughs> vir- virtual scene. Um, but uh, that's a, it's been, been an interesting start of, of the, the college and high school baseball seasons. Um, and even even the uh, professional ranks, they've had interesting starts to their years with some new rules and uh, enactments and and uh, adjustment period for for many all the way around. But uh, we're uh, out in California having an interesting thing of for the first time in years uh, dealing with rain. So it's been a yeah weather has weather has been a a massive thing uh, in California. I have not seen a wet baseball season like this in well over a decade i mean because usually i mean we're the baseball mecca of the world other than arizona generally speaking oh in florida and yeah. Texas, and, you know well yeah but you know yeah <laughs> it's a, we we just don't see it we just don't have it's it's usually never really an issue uh in california and this year has been We've just been inundated with rain every single weekend. It seems I in, in, in the series of games that I've had that went over a weekend, I haven't had one that has not been interrupted by rain. Even last weekend, um, I was somewhere and we got we got all the games in and the rain wasn't really a factor during the game. But uh, like the night before it, it uh it rained uh, pretty good. And then in the beginning of the game, it started to drizzle a little bit, but that's all we had was drizzle. Nothing, nothing major, but I haven't seen anything like this in just a tremendous amount of time. Right. And you think we would use the rainy days to, to, to uh, a little more efficiently for good. Um, we have a friend of ours is joining us today that, you know, he had some rain dealing where he was too. So maybe we could have gotten together. Um, assuming we all had power and internet during that time, but uh, oh yes, <laughs> I'd like to welcome our friend Michael Chuckerman. Michael, hey guys, 
Hey, welcome to the show, Mike. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Happy yeah, to be here. Appreciate thank the invite. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Of course, in rainy days, doesn't mean our day job stops. So um, it did mean we were just sitting around, but we, we did. Yeah, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? Anyway. <laughs> we worked on a baseball field anyway. Uh, well, uh, today's uh, show is uh, entitled Hard Work Pays Off My Journey to Division One Baseball. We're going to go over um, Mike's resume, which is extremely impressive. Michael started uh, umpiring high school baseball for the San, Fern San Fernando Valley High School Umpires Unit uh, back in uh, 2016. Then he went in 2017 uh, to the Harry Wendelstedt uh, School of Professional Umpiring then went on to the MILB advanced course uh, that same year. Uh, he also uh, had the uh, CIF playoffs uh, in California in 2017, 18, and 19. He also worked the uh, Northwoods League in uh, May of 2016 to August of 2017 and did the Summer Collegiate World Series uh, for two years 2017 and 18 where in 18 he was the crew chief uh did the Pi pioneer league from uh 2021 to present uh was in the california collegiate league uh from 2018 to present uh did the and i'm i'm assuming this is a, a junior college conference um uh, the south uh, coast conference uh, from 2018 to present and did the 2018 community college super regional uh, that same year. Also did the uh, Junior College South Empire Conference, uh, the Western States Conference, uh, and did the 2019 Regional. Then got promoted to uh, the NAIA uh, that same year in 2018, in which he did the uh, CalPAC uh, and the uh, GSAC, Golden State Athletic Conference, and also did uh, got promoted also to Division Three that same year. Uh, did the Sky Ask Skyac Conference uh, from 2018 and had their conference tournament in 2018. Did the Division Three uh, Regional 2019 2021 uh, Division Three Regional as well, and then also was promoted to D2 that same year as well. And uh, did the uh, California Collegiate Athletic Association, and then the following year was promoted to uh, Division One baseball. Did the West Coast Conference uh, in 2019 and the Mountain West Conference that same year. Uh, in 2020, was promoted to the Western Athletic Conference, where he did the uh, conference tournament in 2022. And uh, was also promoted to the Big West uh, that same year. And this year was promoted to the Pac-12 Division I Conference. And I got to say, that is an impressive resume, Michael. Thank you you moved up the ladder uh, extremely fast. Let's just start off by this. Uh, did you play sports in high school? I sure did. Freshman, freshman year and sophomore year, I was a three-sport athlete, baseball, basketball, and football. And my junior year, I dropped, I'm sorry, excuse me, my sophomore year, I dropped basketball um, and played baseball and football for the remainder of my time in high school. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of happens. There's only so much time. Um, I guess you have to hit the books too. Uh, that's where a student athlete comes in. Um, yeah, you know, and when you're, you know, five foot nothing uh, and everybody else is growing, basketball is a little bit more challenging. 
I've heard that. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Or, or live that. You know, I, I totally, totally relate to that. How did you uh, end up in umpiring, in officiating? So I, you know, I've always loved baseball. It's, it's been a real passion of mine. Um, unfortunately, life kind of took me away from baseball uh, for, for a period of about you know, 20 years or so um, with, with, with work and with life. And it just, just wasn't something that I was really involved in. I had some events in my life that, that, that occurred and kind of changed the course and the path that I was on. And, and when I came out of those experiences, I wanted to make sure that, that my life composed of not just work, and I really wanted to um, involve myself in my life with something that I loved, and, and that was baseball. Uh, I tried coaching for uh, two years. Uh, while I loved working with the kids, and loved the decision-making uh, and effect that I had on molding young minds as a coach, um, it, it really wasn't for me. Unfortunately, I don't have an analytics degree or, or some sort of high-level thing from, from Yale or Harvard or, or, or MIT. So, so going to work in a front office of a professional organization without those degrees in today's day and age is hard. I remember I was having dinner with a good friend of mine, and, and he was an umpire uh, who was umpiring high school baseball and, and community college, uh, maybe some division three, I'm not really sure. And he said to me, you know, have you ever, have you ever thought about umpiring? And my answer was, no, I haven't. And, and, and his response to that was, I think you'd be really, really good at it. You were, you were a catcher um, and a pitcher, uh, when you were a player and, and, and you're really athletic and you're in good shape and, and you're smart and you um, are good with people, I, I think you would really love it. You're, you know, as close to the, to the action as anybody. And I, my response to that was, well, how, how, do I, how do I see if I would like it? How do I try that? And he said, you know, you sign up for the high school unit and here's the guy to call and, and away I went. Uh, I signed up for the high school unit. He and I got together another day and said, here's all the gear you need to buy and clothes and everything. And, and, and off I went to uh, start umpiring uh, in high school. And, and well, I, obviously, you, you must have liked it somewhat. You're, you're still doing it. But uh, what was it like getting back on the field, but in a different, different role? Uh, I, I liked it, guys. Um, to, to be an arbiter of, of the rules and, and an arbiter of the game and, and to be present uh, on the field with the players, um, you know, hearing the sound, seeing the sights, smelling the smells, um, you know, really being engaged with the players and the coaches and, and becoming an integral part of the, of the contest that, that's being played. Um, I, I, it, I took to it immediately. Uh, I really loved it. And um, it was something that I knew I wanted to continue to pursue and to continue to be a, um, a, a large part of my life. Moving. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I like you took a gap between 
you know, playing and, and, and doing that, that and, you know, did life thing. And then <clears throat> got involved when, when my kids started playing, got back involved in the game and, oh, we need a coach. So, you know, I was getting one, one of the daddy coaches and then decided didn't want to be just a daddy coach. Yeah. It was similar uh, for me too. I took some time off myself and then, um, for quite a number of years. And then just like Eric started uh, umpiring when my kids started playing. So a uh, special thing that, that we can go in and we can, we can become a part of the, uh, of our, of our children's experiences um, and, and not go the um, kind of prototypical route to, um, of being a coach and, and maybe adding some, you know, undue pressure onto, onto our kids when, when, when we're actually their coach, um, especially as they get a little bit more elevated in age. Um, so uh, it, it's a really, I think it's a really cool thing um, that, we, that we're able to do. Yeah, so I didn't start coaching high school until my youngest son was done at the school. So I remember I was doing a, a Little League game uh, and I happened to know the opposing coach. My son's team was playing and I rung him up. I rung my son up, uh, son up for strike three. And the uh, coach looked at me and says, Colin, it looked like you enjoyed that a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let me ask you. So uh, moving forward uh, in your umpiring career, what was the catalyst for your decision to attend the Harry uh, Wendelstadt Pro School? So when I was, when I had joined the high school unit, they had the classroom instruction and they had healed clinics and, and I attended all those. My observation was um, the, the intention uh, and the uh, syllabus and the curriculum uh, that the instructional staff was, was putting out there uh, had, had really the best intention and they were selfless and they, and they were giving and they wanted to help young umpires learn positioning and, and timing and fundamentals. But I, I did not believe that that was the type of instruction that was commensurate with umpiring at the level that I wanted to, that I wanted to umpire. So I, decided that I am going to learn how to do this the right way uh, and the professional way. And I am going to go to professional umpire school because I want to work at the highest level that I possibly can. And I want to have a groundwork of fundamentals uh, of, of abilities and understanding and concepts of the of how to umpire in, in the two-man system, two-umpire system. And I wasn't going to get that in the high school, in the high school instructional uh, program. So that was the um, deciding factor that propelled me to, to take, uh, you know, six weeks off of work and, and get a dog sitter for, for my dog and, and go down to Florida and see what happens. So were you actually considering at that time, actually, uh, if offered going uh, the professional umpire route? I would have, yes, the direct answer to your question is yes. I, I would have considered it at the time. Um, uh, my, I was a little bit elevated in age 
So I wasn't their ideal candidate. Um, but going into it, uh, if I was offered a, a position in professional baseball, I, I would have taken it. Coming out of umpiring school, you were offered a, the opportunity to go to the advanced course, the MILB advanced course, um, and you were actually placed on reserve list. So that was a real consideration at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes and no, Eric. So during my time, my, my four weeks at, uh, at uh, Harry Reynolds at Professional Empire School was, was four of the greatest weeks of my life. The, the umpiring and learning the game and learning the fundamentals and, and learning the concepts and, and understanding how to use my instincts um, were, were undeniably important and, and really, really beneficial to my career. Um, but far and away, better than all that stuff was the relationships that I had made uh, and the friendships that I still have to this day that, that were formed uh, with some of my classmates and, and some of my instructors. Hmm. Um, about halfway through umpire school, um, I knew that I was, was really progressing well and that I was, was really, really learning. Um, but I also knew... Um, that I didn't think I wanted to work in professional baseball. Um, really, really due to, to my age and the fact that um, I wouldn't really want to go into minor league baseball um, for three, four, five years, you know, tap out at, at AA or AAA and, and, and go no further. If I, wanted, if I want to do something in any aspect of my life, I want to, I want to achieve the highest level that I possibly can. And I, I learned pretty quickly that there, there really was no major league future for me. Um, and, and it really comes down to a business decision uh, for, you know, major league baseball in terms of my age and, and time of service and, and pensions and stuff that they want. So um, for, for me to um, take a position um, away from somebody younger who might have a future would be, would be very selfish of me. So when I got placed on the reserve list and then later, later that summer when I was in the Northwoods League, I actually got a phone call to, to get called up. Um, I, I passed. I remember the conversation with the director of, of umpire training for, for PBUC is what it was at the time. Right. Uh, and that's exactly what I told him. I said, um, I have no future in, in Major League Baseball. Um, I think that you should give that spot to somebody who has a chance. Wow. Well, some very of that, well, that, that's a, yeah, very inspirational, very giving. Um, and, and also a little bit of maybe having a couple years of a life experience before going to school, get some reality check of this is how the process works. And where, where does this path lead me, right? So <clears throat> does he help me get to my ultimate goal there? So, but the more Northwoods League might, might, must've been at least interesting and probably a little bit of fun. Uh, the, the Northwoods League, um, my, uh, my first year was, was a ton of fun. And I, I kind of <clears throat> attribute my experience in the Northwoods League over, over two summers that I did it, um, being a direct correlation to my, um, to my rise 
in the ranks uh, of college baseball. That, that's really where I cut my teeth. That's really where I learned how to handle situations. Uh, you know, you work some games in the Northwoods League, for example, you know, Madison uh, on a Friday night, now in Wisconsin, they get, you know, 10, 11,000 fans. Other places like Kalamazoo, Michigan, across Wisconsin, they get, you know, five, 6,000 fans. And that's where I really started to spread my wings and, and mature as uh, as an umpire and, and kind of like a leader of of the crews, um, it was a ton of fun. It was it's a real grind that league. I think if you go all the way through to the to the to the championship series, I think it's you know ninety ninety two games in in eighty five days uh, wow. or something like that. And and it's it's a real grind. You've got some some real long drives you've got to make. It really really contributed to to my growth as a as a as a man as a as a, as a leader and, and and as an umpire. Well, you're kind of thrust in the middle of the fire, I guess. So, boy, it really tests your uh, physical strength as well as your mental. It sounds like. Yeah, it does. You know, what I tell young umpires um, that, that I, that I am, am lucky enough to get to instruct or, or, or to mentor in some cases is that umpiring is, is really more mental than it is physical. Um, after, after, a, after a game, whether you're working a home plate or, or first base or third base or second base, I mean, whatever system that you're working, um, you should be mentally exhausted. Uh, physicality is, I, I believe, in my opinion, second nature. You do need to be in good shape. You do need to be able to run. You do need to be able to hustle. You do need to be able to cut quickly and get yourself in, in position for plays in front of you and also that are developing. But it's really more of a mental application. And, and if you are not mentally exhausted, after a game, um, then I don't believe that you have put forth your best mental effort to um, to be the best crewmate and and person on the field that you can be. So yes, mentally exhausting, and and yes, physically exhausting. Um, if you guys want a quick war story, um, I had a we had we had a game in. Uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, the, the Wausau Woodchucks, uh, on July 3rd, that started at 11 a.m. And the game, we did not leave the ballpark until 11.30 p.m. that day. Oh, man. Um, the, the game had two two-hour rain delays. Uh, we had a game tying grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning and then another game tying grand slam in the bottom of the 10th inning we had a july 4th game in a different city that was about six hours away at 305 p.m the following day oh my jeez <clears throat> So, so after that, guys, we were, I was physically exhausted. 
<laughs> after that 36 hour stretch. Wow. Holy Moses. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'll admit that right up front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now is it is the Northwoods League? Is that two or three men? The Northwoods League is three men. It is three men. Uh, Wood Bat, yeah, Wood Bat Collegiate League and three men. It covers uh, the, the teams. There's a team in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Uh, there's a team in Bismarck, North Dakota, and then the the rest of and there's a team in Waterloo, Iowa, and then the rest of the teams are um, kind of conglomerated in Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin and Minnesota. Wow, that's a stretch and a half. It is, you know, you drive from Kalamazoo, Michigan to Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, or to Duluth, Minnesota, which is the northernmost city in Minnesota, and you're looking at nine, ten hours in the car. Man, that's just, like, like you said, that's a grind. That's a grind and a half. It's a grind, yeah. But it's a tremendous experience. Uh, the, the guys who run the Northwoods League are, are wonderful people. Um, they're, um, they're accessible. They care about the umpires. They care about the product on the field. The, um, they, they really put, on, uh, put forth a good product. And, and working for them was, was a great experience. I mean, so much so that I went back for a second year. Um, it was, it, it's, they're really good people. And if any umpire has the ability to work in that league uh, and, and to have those experiences in the young part of their career coming up, uh, I would uh, push them to, to take that opportunity. Well, that, that speaks for, for the sale. They pay you to promote this, Michael? <laughs> no, no, they do not. <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So and after two years, the Northwoods League, now that gets us to the spring of 2018 and, and your collegiate career just sort of started taking off at that point. So I, I, I guess uh, what the lessons learned in the Northwoods League and finding out oh, only having to do a, you know, maybe a four game series on a weekend and a, and a midweek game, maybe that's a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> It is a little bit easier, yes. The, the travel is a little bit easier. Um, the turnaround times are easier. It, it, it is a little bit easier. You know, if, if you want to be, and this is really the case in anything that you want to do professionally, you know, baseball umpiring, you know, personally, um, the easy way out is usually not going to be the best result. So you went from, uh, you know, pro school that year, or the year prior, then you went to JC and then through D2 and getting postseason assignments. Mm -hmm. Besides just the hard work and determination to be the best at your craft, what do you attribute to the rapid rise in your uh, collegiate baseball career? Uh, a couple things. Number one, and again, this, this is kind of you know, a nice thing as well as I'm hiring. Number one is I, I try to be... I try to be the best person that I can. Um, I try to be the best, the most selfless um, individual that I can be. Uh, I'm always going to try to better those around me and to teach and educate and groom and develop 
you know, those, those that are around me before considering myself. So I know it's a saying that, that we use a lot in, in our application of umpiring, but just, just, just being a good person. Um, I had some, some really, really, really fantastic mentors that taught me, um, you know, how to, how to deal with situations on the field, how to, to be a good crew guy, you know, be what they refer to as an umpire's umpire. Um, how to really, really take feedback and, and constructive criticism and, and use it as a positive um, because none of us are perfect and um, we're, we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to screw stuff up. Uh, the difference between good ones in, in development and, and great ones is the ability to have your crewmates or your instructors or your uh, your crew chief or your 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 evaluator or your um or your signer your coordinator give you some you know some real honest you know maybe some hard feedback and for you to you know not take that personally and to really understand the information that that's being given and that the objective is to to make you a better umpire for it Take that and, and to implement it and to execute on methodologies of improving your craft based on some of the mistakes that you made as you're coming up. Um, and and just just being just being a good guy and being a good crew guy and, and you know having the foundation that I that I was that I was that I built at umpire school for when things happen to be able to rule accordingly. Um, and uh, to, to, to get your calls right. Um, and, and Colin and I, and so has Trav, we've all noticed uh, a, a little bit of yourself, and this is how much help you've given, and we've seen you at various umpire camps, um, help, helping people out, instructing, um, giving out little kernels of knowledge, little tips of uh, how, how we all can do things better. Um, what kind of drew you into that? I have I have been honored and blessed to, to be given all of this all of this knowledge um, from you know big league umpires on down to minor league umpires on down to you know multiple college world series umpires. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to learn some guys working at that level. Uh, all the knowledge that I have, you know, uh, where I'm going at the end, end of the day, I can't take with me. So I want to share it. I want to make, um, if I can help elevate somebody's career, if somebody is working in, in Division Three and they get um, added to Division Two roster, and, and I could have helped contribute to that, then then I've done my part for the the brotherhood of the umpire community and for that individual. Um, you know where we're all going at the end of the day all the stuff we've learned the collective sum of all of our experiences we can't take that stuff with us so i'm going to share everything that i've been taught and everything that i've learned to help anybody uh, elevate themselves uh, in any aspect of the umpire impact well i can say as a uh, camper uh, uh some of the camps that you have uh 
you know, graciously uh, attended and, uh, you know, given some of your uh, knowledge to, I can say, you know, from my point of view, I, I sincerely appreciate it. You honestly, uh, and, and I'm not blowing smoke. If you were to look selfless in the dictionary, there would be your picture because every time I've approached you, you've been extremely approachable. Yeah. You give of yourself all the time uh, at camps. And for those of you who in our audience who are thinking about going to a camp and have the privilege of Michael being an instructor there, uh, by all means, seek him out because uh, he has a plethora of knowledge to say the least. And he'll always uh, sit back and make time for you. That's, that's for damn sure. And, and we, as campers, uh, we sincerely appreciate it. And yeah, ditto here. Well, thanks, thanks guys. I, I love doing it. I love teaching. I love um, you know, watching um, a, a younger umpire, maybe not chronologically in their age, but, but an umpire who is young in their career. If, if I can help them out in any way, I, I, will, um, I will give all I can. No, you, you give me numbers, little, little tidbits that uh, I try to, try to remember and use. So. <laughs> at the appropriate time. That's right. <laughs> um, Good. And then if, if he gets it wrong, just, just blame me. I'll take the bullet. Just say, yeah, Michael's probably do that. I don't know what that yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I try to make a habit. Do not throw people under the bus, no matter what it is. Right. My, my project role usually is a chief spear catcher. <laughs> so I'll try to take all the spears and where the credit goes, we succeed as a crew. So. That's right. Um, kind of jump in subject real quick before we before before we jump j jumped on the air. Um, we were kind of talking about a college season and, and the differences we've noticed with the pitch clock. And, and personally, I said I'd like it, even though I had a, a four hour game yesterday. Um, I couldn't imagine it without a pitch clock. How long that would have been? Um, it was a football score, seventeen to thirteen. Let's see. One team used all six of their conferences. One, the other team only used four. Um, a combined ten pitching changes. Uh, wow! Only two of which were beginning of an inning. So there are other things we could have done for the clock. But um, what do you guys think of the, the clock and and the college baseball game? I, I personally love the clock. Um, I, I, I'm an old school baseball purist. I, I always thought for, for many, many years that, that this game is great and, and why change it? And you're going to be out there for four hours. You're going to be out there for four hours. You know, we're in sunny California or we're in, uh, you know, we're in Arizona or we're in Colorado or if you're lucky enough to go to Texas or Florida or, you know, up the eastern seaboard to work. It's, you know, how, how bad can it be? That, that's, that's, a, that's a high class problem to have. Right. Um, but I do believe that, that over the years, the game needs to evolve and needs to, um, needs to adjust and adapt to, to where we are as a society. I think the pitch clock has been a tremendous addition, and I'm a huge fan of it. Um, you know, people make, in my opinion, people really don't understand the concept of of pace of play versus speed of play. The concept behind the pitch clock is to increase 
pace of play. You know, we always talk about we got to get some rhythm out here. Pitchers got to get up and pitch. Batters got to be in the box. That increases your pace. Uh, speed of play, i.e., quicker game time, are a, a direct result of increased and improved pace of play. Uh, you get the batters in the box. You get the pitchers on the rubber. You know, I think it really challenges the pitchers to throw strikes. It challenges the hitters to to swing at strikes. And um, I think that it is a, a really, really, really tremendous addition. I commend the the NCAA and, and the conferences, and, and as well as you know, professional baseball in, in understanding what they needed to do to adapt and in implementing these things to to execute. Um, those um, uh, methodologies of, of adapting, and it, it, I think it's a great thing. Um, there are some things I believe, just my opinion, uh, need to be flushed out a little bit, need to be tweaked, need to be kind of corrected and fixed, and, and I believe that they will. Um, but the pitch clock, I think, is it's here to stay, and, and, and I believe it to be positive for, for all elements of our game, from the player experience to the umpire experience to the fan experience to the administrator experience uh, to the television experience. Uh, I, I think it's a benefit to all of those parties, and, um, and I, I welcome it very, very, very much. Yeah, as do I, and I've seen you know, average game times uh, go down uh, quite a bit compared to what they used to. And it seems, and as walking, you know, walking off the field after a game, it it just seems uh, the fans are a little bit more engaged, a little bit more uh, entertained and a little, a little happier because it's just, you know, they're not, uh, although, especially if you're not a purist, like we are, as far as, you know, however long the game takes, the, that's however long the game takes. Um, but with these improved uh, pace of play um, rules that they have implemented, it just seems like everyone's happier all the way around. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like I said, I think it's a great thing. You know, it's, it, this is the first year of it. Um, people are, are going to you know, get a little bit hot in college, something they don't understand. You know, think about think about the year that the that we were kind of there was a mandate to really start to call that high strike. Um, you know, my my opinion and, and and kind of agenda for for myself is I'm going to do what I can to call those high strikes. Uh, I'm going to get yelled at for a year because they're not used to it. It's a change. It's something new. Right. And and then the following year, they're going to stop yelling because they've adapted to it. I think the clock is going to hold some similar ideologies. You know, guys are going to yell, guys are going to not understand, players are going to complain, fans are going to yell, broadcasters are going to say things that aren't necessarily factual, um, just based because they don't know. Uh, and it'll go on for a year. And then next year, uh, when it's already been kind of implemented and adapted, people will understand it more, and, and it'll just kind of be you know, standard operating procedure moving forward. Yes, well, we noticed a change for, for most teams I've noticed um, between, you know, working on it in the fall and winter and then the early part of the season, the non-conference portion of the season. And now that we're deep into conference play, we don't get those calls and the looks and the, and the questions quite so much as we 
we do. I think the last two weeks, I've, we've only had two violations. And we called them early in the game and it solved the problem for team. yeah, there are both teams that are notoriously perfect. slow. It's like, well, we called them. They picked it up a little bit. You're gonna, you know, and, and you're gonna get those. You're gonna get those football score games. You're gonna get those games that just they go four hours. I mean, I had. Um, I'm not a big, you know, war story guy, but you know, two weeks ago I had a Tuesday game that was 4:05. I had a Friday game that was 4:10. And I had a Sunday game that was 4:06. It just happens. Sometimes you get them, um, but those are now fewer and further between. Even those games had, had good pace, you know? Um, you had a lot of hits, you had a lot of errors, you had a lot of pitching changes, you had a lot of mound business, but they had good pace. And you were able to not get kind of lost in your own head because sometimes we have a, um, we have a tendency to be complacent So those kind of games. I believe those kind of games really, really, really affect you. Um, and if you are not mentally really, really sharp in a, in a you know, 17 to three ball game, uh, the, the ball is going to find you. And, and that's when, when it will <laughs> you know, so you're going to have those games. Yeah. It's part of it. Just like if you're a football referee, you're going to football official, you're going to have, you're going to have a 42 to six game. If, if you're a basketball official, you're going to have a, 110 to 73 game. It's gonna happen. Right. You just you just have to bear down and 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 continue to officiate based on your based on your training and based on the situation and and remain level headed and, and cool headed and know that, that you'll get out of there eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I believe the clock is a great thing. I'm a big fan of it. I, I don't I don't love. That, that we have to administer it on the field. I think that, that what they ask us to do a lot, and, and this is just an added thing that is, that is a high um, visibility uh, responsibility. I hope one day they can find a solution to, to not having us operate the clock on the field. Uh, but for the meantime, that's the, that's the Procedure that, that they have they have instructed us to do, and we need to be um, as, as diligent and as um, correct about it as possible. Right. Um, well, part of the problem said, with uh, you know, us operating the clock is for for most levels of baseball, there is no visible clock on the field, so it, it makes it hard for those that are still struggling to understand it. When did the clock start? It's like, oh. Right. But, but I do believe, I think it's mandatory next year. Um, I know at the Division One level, it's mandatory next year for all, right. all um, institutions to have visible clocks. Uh, I, I'm not sure about Division Two or Division Three just yet, but I believe that it's relatively the same time frame or, or maybe a year or two uh, trailing. Um, but, but you will have those visible clocks at those lower levels. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, in due time. And then it, it is easier because you have transparency, you know? Right. Everybody can and, and now they've it's not a not about funding. Right. And it's now been in place, the clock has been in, in place and being enforced for a couple of years by that point as well. So that just will only further help help move it 
one thing difference between the professional baseball and college baseball is the the time for a new batter to get up to, to play. Some of them have, okay, I'll admit it. Some of them have really kick-ass walk-up music, but at some point, <laughs> we want them in the box. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not standing there enjoying their music. So one thing that also came up, you mentioned those football score games, <clears throat> those those lopsided routes. Um, I noticed that at, you know, the SEC, I think on a trial basis this year, I might be trial basis, has implemented for conference play a 10-run rule. I, I kind of agree with that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Michael? If the SEC is implementing a conference-mandated mandatory 10-run rule for, for conference games, I think that that is a great thing. I, they, they have the 10-run rule in the, in the Western Athletic Conference, the LAC. Um, mm. my, my feeling, my opinion um, is that the 10-run rule should be mandatory at all levels, all conferences, all games, uh, even including professional baseball at the minor league level and at the major league level. Ten runs after seven innings, uh, the game should be over. That is just that is just my opinion. I, I've done some research on this. Um, if you look up the past two thousand games that have had a score differential of 10 runs or more uh, after the top of the seventh inning in both professional and collegiate baseball. Okay. 2.6% of those games, uh, the trailing team has come back to win the game. So you say there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) There's a chance for it. Um, I don't like to use the term never uh, or any definitive negative in any part of my life because if you're breathing, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the saying? I think I've heard uh, watching cards on, on TV, chip in a chair, you got a chance. Right, right. Yep. You know, you know, you take that, that research, I did a step further um, of those same 2000 games. Uh, that have been a run differential of 10 runs or greater uh, entering the bottom of the seventh inning. 17.4% of those games, the team that was trailing by 10 runs came back to within a deficit of four or more runs, but they did not win the game. Hmm. So when, when you look at those numbers, and, and you look at the, uh, the student athlete, and, and you have to remember that a lot of these kids, their bodies are still developing, their, their arms and their shoulders are not fully developed, their uh, emotional IQ is, is, is not fully developed. They're still, they're still young, you know, young adults, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can say they're young men yet. They're still young adults, they're still developing, they're still learning their bodies, they're still growing into their strengths. They're still developing a lot of mental facilities that, that you don't really have until late in life. It's it's better for their bodies. It's better for their health to, to implement this. I just I just don't think it's necessary. You know, I know a lot of the coaches will say, well, that that's when I get my underclassmen in, and that's when I get work for for my freshmen or for my my red shirts or, or guys coming back from injuries. And and while I can understand that is a um, an objection to the ten run rule, my my response, you know, with a smile on my face and friendly would, would be, you know, that's what practice is for. 
And if they're on your, your active 27-man roster, then they should be good enough to play in any situation that you need them to. And, you know, that's what leagues like the Northwoods League and the California Collegiate League, that's what those summer leagues are for, to get those guys those consistent reps that they might not get during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I believe that the 10-run rule should be mandatory. You know, at the, at the major league level, 10 runs after seven, you know, you can keep your stadium open, you can sell your beer, and you can sell your concessions, and you can maybe do some entertainment in the outfield or, or put something on the big jumbotron on the scoreboard, but, but we don't need to be playing baseball anymore because I think it leads to more injuries, um, and, and I think it leads to heated situations. You know, you get somebody who takes a pitch, takes a base on a long pitch, or you get somebody who, who maybe tries to bunt, and you get somebody who maybe tries to steal a base, even though his coach may be told to stop. And all of a sudden, the other team takes exception to that, and then you run into potential throwing situations or um, increased unsportsmanlike behavior between the student athletes, and, and that leads to um, actions that, that have greater consequences that skew almost entirely to the negative. So that's just my opinion. Kudos to the SEC. I don't work in the SEC. Uh, I would love to work in the SEC one day, but I don't. Um, kudos to them if they're doing it. Uh, I hope every conference can do it. Quite frankly, I think it's coming, guys. Uh, I don't know when, but but I do think it's coming. And uh, I think that it's just it's a benefit to our game moving forward uh, if they can implement it. Mandatory across the board, non-conference, conference. You want to keep your fall games that you do, nine, ten run, no problems. I think a lot of times they're going to keep scoring those games. Um, but I think that it's a good thing, and, and I think it's coming. Yeah, that's a welcome thing, because you go to some of these games that are so lopsided. Not very many people coming out, you know, super happy about it. But two, when the games get lopsided, that's when shenanigans happen. Yep, they do. So I, I look at those games, sometimes it's more work, because my radar is going. 110%. So, yeah. Those are those games you get those position players that pitch. And I think that that leads to potential injury. That leads to, you know, potential batters getting hit. That leads to lack of, of strikes. That leads to increased game times. I, I think there are too many pros to adding a 10 run rule versus cons. Um, you know, I don't mind the work. When, when I'm on a baseball field, that's, that's my happy place. I am, I am so happy. I'm so thrilled. I don't care if the score is 30 to 3 or 2 to 1 and we're going at a 2 10 clip. Um, I just, I look around and, and I just, you know, every once in a while I got to pinch myself. You know, I'm, I'm out here on a, on, a, on a big west field or I'm out here on a Pac 12 field, you know, working a college baseball game. Um, there, there are so many people in the world that have so many, you know, problems or, 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 or opportunities that they cannot afford to do something like that. And I just, I consider myself and my crewmates and, and everybody in that brotherhood some, some of the luckiest people in the world to get to, get to do this. Well, we get to do something we love. So where, where's yeah. the fun in that? So. Hey, Mike, just to circle back really quick uh, in regards to the, uh, to lopsided scores we tend to and i don't mean we generally speaking but sometimes some guys have a tendency to just kind of zone out because and they're not necessarily present in the game 
because of what the score is and it just gets the great games dragging on and whatnot on the other side of that coin do you believe that that's a opportunity to for us to really work on some something specific like in our game so the score is lopsided and it's not going well for one team and it's just you're kind of going kind of going through the motions however what you can do in those situations is actually pick something and really work on it in that sort of situation do you believe that that could be the case absolutely there are always opportunities for us to to work on things um i i go into a series or a midweek uh well it's always with a little bullet point um i i i write in my journal before the game what i want to what i want to work on uh what i want to see and, and what practices i am going to physically manifest to work on that? How am I going to execute on stuff that I want to work on? And then, so I'm always doing it. My, what I like to challenge my, my fellow umpires is when you get some of those lopsided scores, my, my, my challenge to you is um, I want you to work on the mental side of it. What are you going to do to not zone out um, and to remain engaged and remain an active participant and really elevate your performance during those times when you clearly know the game is out of reach, no matter what one team does, they're not going to, to come back or make it interesting. I'm gonna challenge you to stay with it mentally. Um, you can always work on positioning, you can always work on angles, you can always work on some mechanical thing, you know, within reason, I, I wouldn't recommend practicing your new out mechanic in the outfield in between innings or, or a strike mechanic in between innings. <laughs> I don't think that's the best time to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you should, we should always be striving to improve. Um, we should always be striving to, to replay, um, understand the development of, of secondary plays or potential plays that may come after our first primary responsibility. We should always be doing that in that situation. Um, those lopsided games, yes, you, you can work on stuff. Um, my approach, and again, this is just me, is in those kinds of games, I am, I'm going to really focus on my mental approach mm. and make sure that I am, I am in every pitch and know exactly what's going on around me all the time because that complacency um, and that tuned out tidiveness um, it's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. Oh, um, I've seen that blow up on, on guys because they were unprepared. They just, we're just cruising along, and next thing you know, it, it, you said earlier, ball's going to find you. Yep. 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 Gonna the game's going to find you. The game, the game is going to find you. Is, Without a doubt. My good friend. You know, we've all, we, <laughs> oh, go, ahead, go ahead, Michael. I was going to say, we, we've all, in our career, we've all been in situations where the game finds us. And we either weren't prepared, weren't ready, or or had never seen something like that. And and we, as umpires, we know that is that is probably the worst feeling in the world, knowing that um, we weren't prepared for something, and the spotlight is on us, and people are yelling, and and there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, is it one of the umpire friend, friends. Uh, he runs an umpire camp up here in uh, Northern California, and assigns it. 
he calls it, there's a monkey on the field and he's going to jump on somebody's back in this game. And he's always looking for somebody to jump on. So always be ready. You don't want to be the guy with yep. the monkey on your back. Right. Never be surprised. Yeah. <clears throat> so Michael, it sounds like uh, earlier in your life, uh, you had some challenges and you switched gears as far as life path goes and, and went in another direction. And with all the uh, challenges that you've had in your life and the changes that you've done to become a, a better person, better umpire, and going to school, having the success that you've had in, uh, did, uh, in, in baseball in general, what was it like for you to step on a Power Five conference field for the first time? was pretty special um i was i was lucky enough to to get assigned um a uh to a series that had some some of my mentors working with me so um it was it was particularly special in in, in looking across the, the the field and seeing somebody um that has taken an um active role in my development as an umpire and, and having a sense of security out there also knowing that like hey if something goes wrong that, that this this umpire and this friend is going to protect me um and, and allowed me the freedom to to just go work my game playing surfaces the locker room the amount of fans in the stands the facilities all of it is is, is you know, a step up when you when you're when you're working in a power five conference, and, and it was a really special experience. It was incredibly humbling, um, but at the same time, uh, I, I needed to remember to to stay grounded and and to remind myself that that I'm not done. This is not the pinnacle for me. I have I have goals. Um, I have dreams, I have aspirations within the application of umpiring. Um, being a you know, staff umpire on a, on a Power 5 um, conference was one of those goals, but it wasn't the end goal. And I have to remember to um, continue to work hard and continue to learn and continue to grow because not only do I want to stay in the Power 5, but I want to elevate and I want to I want to be working postseason, and, and and I want to be a crew chief, and and I want to be somebody that the conference and 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 my coordinator and and, and my crews and, and my fellow staff members can can rely on to be um, a beacon of um, inspiration and and to solidify um, the foundation that we have that we're going to go on playing that game and that series for. Um, and, and the last thing, really, that this just went through my mind was I was incredibly thankful to all all of the umpires that that came before me, all the umpires that that mentored me and, and instructed me, um, and, and and allowed me the ability to to get to to be at that level. I was very thankful for my coordinator who um, believed in me and, and trusted in me to be able to. Um, give me these assignments and these responsibilities. 
and thankful to the to the coaches and the players and the institutions and and, and the administrators and, and everybody that had um, any any small part to play in my um, in my experience here. Um, that 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 really was going through my mind a lot. Just how lucky I was to have such such great people around me that have that have supported me, that have taught me, that have grew me, that have. Um, believed in me and that had the ability to give me the opportunity to work in that in that conference. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's nice to see all the the culmination of all your hard work uh coming to fruition. And just like you said, I mean it's just it's it's not necessarily the stepping on that field for the first time isn't the culmination. That's just sort of I guess you could say the beginning. Uh, because you have more goals, you have more things that you want to do and get and, and accomplish. And so that's just, um, you know, one check in the checkbox, you know, okay, I got here. It's uh, now it's time to elevate and, 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 and keep going. Cause a lot of some, cause some people will get to that level and just, uh, and, and this kind of transcends industry, but I mean, they get to a certain level and then they just put it on cruise control. And it's obvious uh, from our conversation that that's not the case with you. No, it's it's not the end. It's just part of the journey. Part of the journey, yeah. Very well said. Well, we sincerely appreciate your time today. It's been uh, extremely enlightening, to say the least. I just have uh, one more question for you. I once heard a leader say, we're exactly who we've chosen to be by the people that we associate with and what we watch, read, and listen to. Uh, this is kind of a two-parter. So do you agree with that statement? And if so, what are some of the decisions you've made, either good or bad, uh, that have made the most impact on you personally and professionally? I believe that there is some truth to that. Um, I do not believe that we are all a product of, of who we choose to surround ourselves with. Um, because we have made, some of us have made choices or have people in our lives that maybe maybe shouldn't be around, but they are long-term friends or their family um, or their, you know, coworkers, and we need to be around them. Um, I do believe that that, you know, your reflection of your character can be delineated by who you choose to surround yourself with, uh, but none of us are perfect. And, and we're all gonna have a little bit of a spoiled apple or a little bit of a bad glass of milk uh, within, within our circle. What I do personally, professionally, you know, when I'm hiring just in life is, is I look for certain qualities uh, in those that I choose to surround myself with, um, you know, honesty and, and loyalty and, and integrity and, you know, content of character and honor and, and, and do you keep your word? Um, those, those are things that, that I like to gauge and, and have my kind of circle um, be around and, and, and contain those, those character qualities that I instill inside myself. You know, if somebody's character is a reflection mm -hmm. of, of my ideologies and what I instill in myself, then, then I think that they're going to help influence me and they're going to help 
um, create a better collective sum of experiences for, for, for me, you know, as I go through my life. Some, you know, you ask some of the things that I have personally done to, to help influence this. You know, earlier in my life, I, uh, I battled, uh, I battled with some addiction. You know, getting clean and sober. Uh, is, this November will be my, my 12th year of sobriety. That had a huge, huge influence on, on some of these decisions and, and who I am as, as, as a man um, and, and an umpire you know, moving forward in my life. I like to... I like to open my heart up and, and, and fill others with, with light and, and with love and with, with positivity. The collective sum of my experience that I've had in my life has shown me that that, that practice and that belief and that selflessness and that giving of others, giving to others, is uh, a practice that I uh, execute on a daily basis, multiple times a day. Well, I think that that's a great note to, uh, to end on. Thank you so much for your insight um, into uh, your rise in college baseball. And we sincerely appre appreciate your time. We hope that this and our goal is to hopefully take your story and, and be able to impact somebody else uh, within our audience to be able to say, hey, you know, with this kind of determination, with this kind of drive and and you know surrounding yourself you know with the right people and whatnot like that you can really achieve anything you want you can we are human beings are amazing people um we can do whatever we want we just have to we got work for it no that's that's awesome michael and thank you very much for making some time for us and squeezing seeing your schedule um we do do appreciate it always enjoy a chance to chat with you we always have a good time so Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. I love being here, guys. Anytime. Thank you so much. Call lots of strikes this weekend. Yeah, I'll render that advice. I don't need another four-hour one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Michael. You guys have a great day. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was Michael Chuckerman, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That's, uh, that was some food for thought, to say the least. Yeah, he's he's been on quite a ride. And it looks like still going up, so that's good. Yeah. The pace in which he has risen to uh the division one level is uh insane compared to the time that he started until the time that uh <clears throat> until now. I mean it's just it's been a short eight years. Yeah. We hear a lot from from guys. You know, it's like they don't understand why they're not moving up. It's like, God, I've been in for this long and I'm not moving up. What's going on? That sort of thing. It's clearly, it's not tenure that gets you anywhere in in baseball at all. Or generally speaking in life per se too. But it's it's just not, it's just not showing up. You just can't show up. You have to execute. Michael really, uh, you know, brought that brought that point home right right he, well he lives it so yeah it's on a daily him. basis both professionally and brain. and uh yeah it's just yeah it is seems meteoric but you know he had some precursors that 
led into it. So, right. And he yeah, made some sure. good choices and, and learned lessons well and worked hard. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad we were able to get him on finally. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yep. So, well, yeah. in our next show, we're going to have, uh, it'll, we're going to have a wrap, a uh, season wrap up show. Season's got to come to an end. Uh, college season. Yeah. Yeah. College season's got to come to an end. We'll have our high school's uh, going to go to mid June out here in California. But yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, with all the rain delays and things like that, it's, uh, well, the playoffs, the, the, they've added, you know, the next level of the state was just not NorCal champions, now state champions. So they're got another, oh, really? got another round to go. So Oh, I'll be darned. They're finally, they're finally doing the whole state champion, huh? Yeah, they're, they're doing that. So. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. That'll be fun to see. Yeah, and summer baseball starts Memorial Day weekend. So Yep. Hopefully... Uh, Travis will be on the show next time. <laughs> that yeah, poor guy. Hopefully, hopefully he's at least physically taken residence by the next time we get together. Yeah, exactly. All moved in is another story, but right. physically there. Yeah. Physically taken yeah, residence. Yeah. Right. So that about wraps it up, ladies and gentlemen, for another splendid edition of Strike 3 Podcast. Podcast. See you, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Season 4, Episode 2 of Strike 3 Podcast, and a special thanks to our guest, Michael Chuckerman, for sharing his story with us. Please join us on our next episode for our 2023 Season Wrap-Up Show. And remember, Strike 3 Podcast, your source for taking your umpiring to the next level. See ya! Oh, before you go, like all good sports officials, we value the importance of feedback. Please rate our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get this podcast. Your rating will help us improve and assist others in finding the Strike 3 podcast. Or please feel free to email us at feedback at strike3podcast.com. That is feedback at strike, the number three, podcast.com. Thanks for listening.